What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading Mini Sacrifice, written by Frances Harper in 1869. Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, born in 1825, was one of the first black women to be published in the United States. She worked with William Still to help refugee slaves find freedom in Canada through the Underground Railroad and was an activist with the American Anti-Slavery Society. In 1894, she helped found the National Association of Colored Women and served as vice president. She died at age 85 in 1911. Minnie's Sacrifice was originally published as a serialization of three novels in the Christian Recorder, a journal by the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Minnie's Sacrifice is the story of a woman living in the North whose identity and heritage is kept from her until she unexpectedly meets her birth mother, an escaped slave. She marries a man whose racial identity and heritage were also kept from him, and they move to the South to participate in uplifting and empowering members of their race. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Is Minnie not well, said Thomas Carpenter, entering one morning the pleasant room where Anna was labeling some preserves. 
She seems to be so drooping and scarcely eats anything. I don't know. I've not heard her complain. Perhaps she's a little tired and jaded from her journey. And then I think she studies too much. She spends most of her time in her room. And since I think of it, she does appear to be more quiet than usual. But I've been so busy about my preserves that I have not noticed her particularly. Anna, said Thomas suddenly after a moment's pause. Does thee think that there is any attachment between Louise and Minnie? He was very attentive to her when we were in Boston. Why, Thomas, I have never thought anything about it. Minnie always seems so much like a child that I never get her associated in my mind with courtship and marriage. I suppose I ought to, though, said Anna with the faintest sigh. Anna, I think that something is preying on that child's mind. And mother, thee knows that you women understand how to manage these things better than we men do. And I wish thee would find out what is the matter with the child. Try to find out if there is anything between her and Louise. And if there is, by all means we must let her know about herself. It is a duty we owe her and him. Well, Thomas... If we must, we must, but I shrink from it. Here she comes. Now I'll leave in a few minutes and then thee can tell her. Perhaps thee can do it better than I can. What makes thee look so serious? Said Thomas as Minnie entered the room. Do I, father? Yes, thee looks sober as a judge. What has happened to disturb thee? Nothing in particular. Only I was down to Mr. Hickman's this morning, and they have a colored woman stopping with them. She's a very interesting and intelligent woman, and she was telling us part of her history, and it was very interesting. But, Mother, I do think it is a dreadful thing to be a colored person in this country. How I should suffer if I knew that I was hated and despised for what I couldn't help. Oh, it must be dreadful to be colored. Oh, don't talk so, Minnie. God never makes any mistakes. I know that, Mother. But, Mother, it must be hard to be forced to ride in smoking cars, to be insulted in different thoroughfares of travel, to be denied access to public resorts in some places, such as lectures, theaters, concerts, and even have a particular seat assigned in the churches, and sometimes you feel you are an object of pity, even to your best friends. I know that Mrs. Heston felt so when she was telling her story, for when Mrs. Hickman said, Well, Sarah, I really pity you. I saw her dark eyes flash, and she has really beautiful eyes, as she said. It's not pity we want, it is justice. In the first place, Mother, she is a widow with five children. She had six. One died in the army and she had some business in Washington connected with him. She said she was born in Virginia and had one little girl there, but as she could not bear the idea of her child growing up in ignorance, she left the South and went to Albany. Her husband was a barber and was doing a good business there. She was living in a very good neighborhood and sent her child to the nearest district school. After her little girl had been there a while, 
Her teacher told her she must go home and not come there anymore and sent her mother a note. The child did not know what she had done and she had been attentive to her lessons and had not behaved amiss and she was puzzled to know why she was turned out of school. Oh, I hated to tell Mrs. Heston, said the teacher, but the child insisted and I knew that it must come sooner or later. And so, said she, I told her it was because she was colored. Is that all? Poor child, she didn't know that in fact lay whole volumes of insult, outrage, and violence. I made up my mind, she continued, that I would leave the place and when my husband came home, I said, Heston, let us leave this place. Let us go farther west. I hear that we can have our child educated there just the same as any other child. At first, my husband demurred, for we were doing a good business, but I said, let us go, if we have to live on potatoes and salt. True, it was some pecuniary loss, but I never regretted it, although I have been pretty near the potatoes and salt. My husband died, but I kept my children together and stood over the washtub day after day to keep them at school. My oldest daughter graduated at the high school and was quite a favorite with the teachers. One term, there was a vacancy in her room caused by the resignation of one of the assistant teachers, and the first teacher had the privilege of selecting her assistants from the graduates of the high school, their appointment, of course, being subject to the decision of the commissioner of public schools. Her teacher, having heard that she was connected by blood with one of the first families of Virginia, told the commissioner that she had chosen an assistant, a young lady of high qualifications, and as she understood, a descendant of Patrick Henry. Ah, indeed, said the commissioner. I didn't know that we had one of that family among us. By all means, employ her. But as she was about to leave, she said, I forgot to tell you one thing, she is colored. A sudden change came over him and he said, do you think I would have you walk down the street with a colored woman? Of course not, I'll never give my consent to that. And there the matter ended. And then she made us feel so indignant when she told us that on her way to Washington to get her son's pension, she stopped in Philadelphia and the conductor tried to make her leave the car. And because she would not, he ran the car off the track. Oh, father, said she, turning to Thomas, how wicked and cruel this prejudice. Oh, how I should hate to be colored. Anna and Thomas exchanged mournful glances. Their hearts were too full, and as many left the room, Thomas said, not now, Anna, not just yet. And so many was permitted to return again to school with the secret untold. Minnie, darling, what are you doing? Moping as usual over your books? Come, it is Saturday morning, and you have worked hard enough for one week. Got all good marks, now just put up that Virgil and come and go out with me. Where do you wish to go, said Minnie to her light-hearted friend, Carrie Wise. I want to go out shopping. 
Pa has just sent me $20, and you know a girl and her money are soon parted. What do you wish to get? Well, I want a pair of gloves, some worsted to match this fringe, and a lot of things. Come, won't you go? Oh, I don't know. I didn't intend going out this morning. Well, never mind if you didn't. Just say you'll go. Where's your hat and mantle, said Carrie, going to her wardrobe. Well, just wait till I fix my hair. It won't take long. Oh, Minnie, do let me fix it for you. If ever I have to work for my living, I shall be a hairdresser. I believe it is the only thing I have any talent for. What an idea. But do, Minnie, won't you let me arrange your hair? You always wear it so plain and I do believe it will curl beautifully. May I, Minnie? Why, yes. So Carrie sat down, and in a short time, she had beautifully arranged Minnie's hair with a profusion of curls. Do you know what I was thinking, said Carrie, gazing admiringly upon her friend? You look so much like a picture I have seen of yours in your father's album. He was showing me a number of pictures which represent you at different ages. And the one I refer to, he said, was our Minnie when she was five years old. Now, let me put on your hat and let me kiss you for you look so pretty. Oh, Carrie, what an idea. You're so full of nonsense. Which way will we go first? First, down to Carruthers. I saw a beautiful collar there that I liked so much. And then let us go down to Mrs. Bargway's. I want to show you a love of a bonnet. One of the sweetest little things in ribbon, lace, and flowers I ever saw. Equipped for the journey, the two friends sauntered down the street. As they were coming out of a store, Carrie stopped for a moment to speak to a very dear friend of her mother's and Minnie passed on. As she went slowly on, loitering for her friend, she saw a woman approaching her from the opposite side of the street. There was something in her look and manner which arrested the attention of many. She was a tall, slender woman, about 35 years old, with a pale, careworn face, a face which told that sorrow had pressed her more than years. A few threads of silver mixed with the wealth of her raven hair and her face, though wearing a sad and weary expression, still showed traces of great beauty. As soon as her eyes fell on Minnie, she raised her hands in a sudden wonder and clasping her in her arms exclaimed, Heaven is merciful. I have found you at last, my dear, darling, long-lost child. Minnie, is this you? And have I found you at last? Minnie trembled from head to foot. A deadly pallor overspread her cheek, and she stood still as if rooted to the ground in silent amazement while the woman stood anxiously watching her as if her future were hanging on the decision of her lips. Who are you? And where did you come from? said Minnie as soon as she gained her breath. I came from Louisiana. Oh, I can't be mistaken. I have longed for you and prayed for you, and now I have found you. Just then, Carrie, 
who had finished speaking with her friend, seeing Minnie and the strange woman talking together, exclaimed, What's the matter? Noticing the agitation of her friend, Who is this woman and what has she said to you? She says that she is my mother, my long lost mother. Why, Minnie, what nonsense. She can't be your mother. Why, don't you see she's colored? Where do you live? Said Minnie without appearing to notice the words of Carrie. I don't live anywhere. I just came here yesterday with some of the Union soldiers. Come with me then, and I will show you a place to stop. Why, Minnie, you're not going to walk down the street with that Nick colored woman. If you are, please excuse me. My business calls me another way. And without any more ceremony, Carrie and Minnie parted. Silently, she walked by the side of the stranger, a thousand thoughts revolving in her mind. Was this the solution of the mystery which enshrouded her young life? Did she indeed belong to that doomed and hated race? And must she share the cruel treatment which bitter, relentless prejudice had assigned them? Thomas Carpenter and Anna were stopping in pay at the house of relatives who knew Minnie's history, but who had never made any difference in their treatment of her on that account. Is father and mother at home? said Minnie to the servant who opened the door. She answered in the affirmative. Tell them to come into the parlor. They are wanted immediately. Sit down, said Minnie to the stranger, handing her a chair, and wait till father comes. Anna and Thomas soon entered the room, and Minnie approaching them said, Father, this woman met me on the street today and says she is my mother. You know all about my history. Tell me if there's any truth in this story. I don't know, Minnie. I never saw thy mother. But question her, father, and see if there is any truth in what she says. But tell me first, father, am I white or colored? Minnie, I believe there is a small portion of colored blood in thy veins. It is enough, said Minnie, drawing closer to the strange woman. What makes you think that I'm your child? By this, said she, taking a miniature from her bosom. By this which I carried next to my heart for more than 12 years and never have been without it a single day or night. Thomas looked upon the miniature. It was an exact likeness of Minnie when she first came to them. And although she had grown and changed since the likeness was taken, there was too close a resemblance between it and one which had been taken soon after she came for him to doubt that Minnie was the original of that likeness. Thomas questioned the woman very closely, but her history and narrative corresponded so well with what he had heard of Minnie's mother that he could not for a moment doubt that this was she. And as such, he was willing to give her the shelter of his home till he could make other arrangements. But why, said Anna, somewhat grieved at the shock that Minnie had received. Did they startle her by so suddenly claiming her in the street? Would it not have been better for thee to have waited and found out where she lived and then discovered thyself to her? 
I spect it would, ma'am, said Ellen very meekly and sorrowfully. But when I saw her and heard the young lady say many, wait a minute, I forgot everything but that this was my long lost child. I'm sorry if I did any harm, but I was so glad I couldn't help it. My heart was so hungry for my child. Yes, yes, said Anna sadly. I understand thee. It was the voice of nature. Minnie was too nervous and excited to return to her school that day. The next morning, she had a very high fever, and Thomas concluded it would be better to take her home and have her mother accompany her. And so, on Monday morning, Anna and Thomas left P, taking Minnie and her mother along. Once again in her pleasant home, surrounded by the tenderest care, for her mother watched over her with the utmost solicitude, the violence of her fever abated, but it was succeeded by a low, nervous affection, which while it produced no pain, yet slowly unstrung her vitality. Ellen hovered around her pillow as if she begrudged every moment that called her from her daughter's side and never seemed so well contented as when she was performing for her some office of love and tenderness. A skillful nurse, she knew how to prepare the most delicate viands to tempt the failing appetite, and she had the exquisite pleasure of seeing her care and attention rewarded by the returning health and strength of her child. One morning as she grew stronger and was able to sit in her chair, she turned her eyes tenderly towards Ellen and said, Mother, come and sit near me and let me hold your hand. Mother, oh how welcome was that word. Ellen's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mother, she said, it comes back to me like a dream. I have a faint recollection of having seen you before, but it's so long I can scarcely remember it. Tell me all about myself and how I came to leave you. I always thought that there was some mystery about me but I never knew what it was before, but now I understand it. Darling, said the mother, you had better wait till you get a little stronger, and then I will tell you all. Very well, said Minnie. You have been so good to me, and I am beginning to love you so much. It was touching to see the ripening love between those two long-suffering ones. Ellen would comb Minnie's hair and do for her every office in her power. Still, Minnie continued feeble. The suffering occasioned by her refusal of Louise, the hard study and deep excitement through which she had passed told sadly upon her constitution. But she was young, and having a large share of recuperative power, she slowly came back to health and strength. And when the spring opened, Thomas decided that he should return again to her school in P. Are you still up? Girl, good night. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. 
like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.